The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Carbon tax. That's exactly right. The, the carbon tax, to give your listeners the basics, would be a fee that the government would levy on basically any source of fossil fuel Elect- fossil fuel energy. So electricity that comes from uh, coal and gas-fired power plants, gasoline, anything like that would be driven up in price. Uh, the particular one that we're looking at now is proposed actually by a Republican, Carlos Curbelo, Florida's 26th district. And that would be a $24 uh, per ton of carbon dioxide fee. What that translates to you in practice would be about a 10% increase in your electricity rate or about 10 cents on a gallon of gas. Jordan, um, I hate to call you out on this. Obviously, you've made some sort of mistake here because you said Carlos uh, Curbelo of Florida is a Republican. Obviously, I mean, I hate to point out your mistake there. I mean, you know, is he, he's... He, ident- he identifies as a Republican. <laughs> and today, identification there is, it is. is what we, uh, what we work with. Come on, Jordan. This, this is the problem here. This is what we fight every day. It's hard enough to keep people difficult enough to keep politicians straight on this stuff. But you, you support a party to fight off the really bad from another party. And it turns out they're still sticking it to you. A 10% increase in our energy prices. That's huge. And, and it's fascinating. We, we actually are seeing a situation where there are very, very few Republicans that are supporting the carbon tax. But this is a Republican uh, proposed bill, and it was, it was co-sponsored by Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania's 8th District. Uh, and this came on the heels of a resolution, which, which we viewed very positively, a resolution uh, that was put forward by Steve Scalise. And that resolution asked each member of Congress to say whether they thought a carbon tax would be bad for the economy or whether they were open to the idea. And what we saw was that six Republicans uh, defected and said that they would be okay with the carbon tax. Seven Democrats, however, sided with us against the carbon tax. So it's not all bad, and we don't expect this Curbelo bill to make much headway. But like you said, if we get a change of the House in November, maybe things change. Right. And you don't know what type of manipulation. I like to think the president wouldn't end up signing something like this. But again, there's a lot of progressive Republicans out there. And just to put this into perspective for you, if it's only 10 percent. And by the way, do you think it would stay at only 10 percent if they do this? No. If it only ends up being a 10 percent increase in, let's say, your your energy use at home at just $166 a month for your energy use on average over the course of 12 months, which for a lot of people is very low. And only that's an extra $200 at the end of the year that is post-tax money. So you'd have to earn like 250 or whatever. Can you just give up an extra $250 for just your home energy costs? And how much money do you spend on gas a month? Do you spend probably about that much more? Okay, right there is an extra $500 of earned money for nothing. And Jordan, explain how this works. This is a carbon tax. Would this? Would his plan be based on a, a sold carbon credits as well, or just a tax? Basically, it would be a tax, and it would be assessed at uh, the source of the energy production. So we're talking about um, natural gas processing plants at the mouths of coal mines, at oil refineries, they would be the ones who are paying in the government. But, of course, that cost 
gets passed along to the consumer because we're just going to see higher prices as a result. And you're right, that 10% figure uh, that I mentioned, that comes from a, a source friendly to the carbon tax. That was a Columbia University study. So we can be just uh, pretty sure that, that it would be a lot higher than that in practice because that's how these things go. Right. Um, over the course of the next decade, what this, again, this is a pro-carbon tax study, they said it would cost the average family between 800 and $900 a year in the next 10 years. Well, we can all just do without that amount of money. We've got that laying around, right? Well, and then think about it, Jordan. It almost becomes a, um, a VAT, too, because it, we keep seeing this tax. So let's say they just put this into place, and it's roughly 10% tax on carbon. Well, let's say the energy producer, okay, we're digging coal out of the ground, and like you said, it's at the mouth of the coal mine, so to speak, and they pass that 10% on to us. Great. How do they get the coal to where it's going they got to transport it meaning whatever energy they use to transport it has been taxed all the way back where it started and what type of vehicle do they use well they use a truck a train whatever it is a boat okay great um the manufacturing costs the energy that went into that those went up as well so your car price will eventually go up maybe not as much but added up over the course you could see an additional increase in everything. Well, that's exactly right. This is going to be an economy-wide price increase because all of the goods we consume require transportation, and that transportation is being taxed with this carbon tax, which would increase the price of gasoline, increase the price of diesel fuel. Additionally, one thing that is often used as a, as a criticism of the carbon tax is that, well, you'll just see manufacturing and other high-energy uh, industries move overseas and then people will ship it to the United States. No, that wouldn't happen here. We'd still be paying higher prices because there would be a border adjustment tax. So even if companies do leave the U.S., which they quite possibly would as a result, we would be taxed when that comes back in at the border. So we're, there's no way to get around it. Everything will be more expensive. And again, that pro-carbon tax study I mentioned from Columbia University, even that admits that this will slow our economic growth. Yeah, well, you're right. That that would have to because you've got all of those manipulations, but then you've got other market factors, and this is what happens. I hate social engineering, um, the government getting involved in social engineering at all, but I hate when they use other things to manipulate us. This, this is what they're doing here. They believe um, they can social engineer our behavior to not use those fossil fuels by putting a higher tax. It's not all that different than them saying, we need you to quit smoking, so we're going to go ahead and tax that more. Stop it. Knock it off. Because it also affects other people's lives. Let's say you are a coal miner. It's not like if the coal mines suffer because of this, you're automatically, Jordan, going to be easily just, hey, I was a coal miner. Now I mind windmills. That's what I do. I dig windmills out of the ground. You're not going to just go and get a solar job, right? You're exactly right. This, this goes back to the, the Cass Sunstein nudge theory. Mm-hmm. They're trying to increase the price of something ever so slightly. Most people won't notice when, they, when they're at the pump that they're paying a little bit more. But over the course of time, what it does is it influences your behavior. And you end up doing things that aren't really your preferences. And you may not even realize why, but it's because that price is a little bit more expensive. So this is a, a certain sort of engineering, as, as you mentioned. So higher prices, 
that will disproportionately affect people that are middle class and poor. Right. So you got that. Number two, it will affect all of the other things we purchased again with higher prices and disproportionately affect. It will affect jobs and those people in certain areas. Some people will not be able to leave an area. So let's say you're a coal miner in West Virginia, Kentucky, Southern Ohio. You're in the coal belt there. Right. And some of those jobs dry up even more in favor of. We got everybody to build solar panels and we got these big solar plants. Great. Where are those going to be? In West Virginia and Kentucky? No, they're going to be in the Sun Belt. What if those people don't want to or cannot move that area? And then it hurts those states in that region even more, giving them even less revenue, less opportunities, and a greater burden for the state to pick up, which is more punitive to everybody else in the region. It just doesn't stop, Jordan. It is insidious and it just keeps going. Well, I love your focus there. It's about people, and people would be hurt by this, no doubt. Uh, as with most carbon tax proposals, this would include some amount of money that would be uh, you know, rebated, they'll say, or um, uh, returned to low-income people, but that's not going to help people who lose their jobs. Uh, their source of livelihood, if they're in the coal industry, they're in the natural gas industry, may dry up, and that requires some big lifestyle changes, and that, that's not made up for by a little rebate check back from the government at the end of the month. Well, and then you end up, you're right, once you get the, the government decides who is low income, then that opens up the whole can of worms of redistribution and who's, who's to say Precisely. what the threshold of poor versus rich. You're right, it just gets more and more muddy. Hey, real quick, is there any proposal that is getting any traction, either this Carlos uh, Curbelo, the representative from Florida or others that are really floating the idea of the carbon uh, credits again, this artificial commodity that they want to create. Is that out there right now? Well, this Curbelo bill doesn't have that, but there is a certain element of that. So the difference between the, the cap and trade idea mm-hmm. and the and the credit idea and the tax is that the tax would set a specific price and then the production would be, uh, you know, whatever emerges as a result of that price is the theoretical idea of a carbon tax versus the cap and trade or credit system where there'd be a set volume of production and then the price is based on what people are willing to bid to get to that uh, or to buy those production units. In this instance, the Curbella, but there's a little bit of both actually because there is the price of the tax, but they also have certain emission reduction goals that would be stipulated. And over the course of the lifetime of the tax, if we're not hitting those quote-unquote emissions targets, then what they would do is jack up the price even more to try to bring it down. So it has a little bit of both, where they're not purely using this Pigovian tax theory where you put a price and you stick with it. They have a little bit of an overall emissions goal they want to put on top of us. Okay, where can people find out more about what's going on, find out more about uh, the American Energy Alliance? Well, our advocacy organization, as you mentioned, is the American Energy Alliance, and that's uh, found on the web at AmericanEnergyAlliance.org. We also have our more in-depth research organization, which is called the Institute for Energy Research, and that's purely about educating the public and influencing policymakers on uh, the fundamentals and the technicalities of energy policy. And, and we're at instituteforenergyresearch.org as well. What we'll do is we'll uh, go ahead and tweet out and post on uh, Facebook the links to that so people can find out more, Jordan. Re- really appreciate you joining us today. 
I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Have a great day, buddy. Appreciate it. Hey, it's Doc Thompson. If you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. The podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Knowledge is power. Tweet at us with the hashtag what I learned today. This is the Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson on the Blaze Radio Network.